start, friends. We're going to shift a gear today because moments like last week are part of God's portfolio, but not all of God's portfolio. And too often, sometimes we think of Jesus as a genie that I get wishes, he'll answer my request because, of course, he's going to provide everything I need. And when it really hits the fan, can I trust God? We're going to read a lot of scripture today. And this is not for anyone who's just looking to play ball on the outside. This is looking for people that want to get in the huddle and be so close to Jesus. What would he say to us after the party, after the Love the City week? And how does he talk as we get a little closer? Because we're disciples, invited in. And that's difficult because we all have areas where... If God starts to talk about that or say, hey, I would like you to open up that part of your heart or even give me this and trust me with it, we start to, no, please, anywhere but there. But God is so gracious and good. He doesn't want to just be the Lord of part of us. He wants to be the Lord of all of us because he is a good Lord, a good father. And I want to start off by reading Matthew chapter 9. And today we are going to let go and let God, and I pray that it's uncomfortable, that it challenges us, because we think of love and we make a transition getting ready to go into baptism service next week. Baptism service is, is, is awesome. We celebrate. We don't just go through it quick. The 1130 service with child dedication is a special divine moment. And then 10 a.m., I'll have an expanded message of what I'll have condensed at the 1130. And uh, so whether you're coming at 10 a.m. or 1130, the party is, is on next week. But as we begin this transition and kind of um, this collection for Love the City, and here we are gearing up for what God has in October and beyond and ending this year healthy so we can see clearly in 2020. But today is, Love the City also is a heartbeat that love trusts. And trust is scary. It's scary. And trust isn't when things are safe and comfortable. Trust is when it's not and it's hard and it's internal circumstances that are difficult and external. When it is hard to face. So thinking of last week, thinking of the party, and now thinking of um, what Jesus would say to us after the party. We're going to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 38. And as we're reading a lot of scripture today, I'm going to make, I'm going to make um, a claim as we enter in. We believe God's word is timeless, perfect, but reading it in a healthy way, contextual, thematically, um, what does it mean to the original audience? All this. So I'll be kind of touching on one theme of the urgency to follow Jesus and then to trust God with everything um, and how he allows us to do that by the helper, the Holy Spirit. And we'll be invited at the end of service to, to let go of whatever we're holding on to that, that we're struggling trusting God with. Cool? And uh, you're like, man, that sounds crazy. Um, First 10 a.m. service, we filled the altar with a bunch of people. So, yeah. There we go. Let's go, 1130. 
All right, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So in other words, Jesus has his love the city truck. He's got his love intersection corners popping. He's got the party. He's got his highlight reel. He's been handing out bags. He's doing all these signs and wonders. Relationships are happening. And and God proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Like everyone can come no matter where you come from. He makes the invite really wide. It's easy to get in. But man, it is hard to stay. He makes it, he starts raising the bar and and he's going to talk about this. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You ever looked at a group of people and felt, man, they look so lost. If they only had a leader that was leading them in the right place. That's how Jesus is looking at crowds. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Like, I want to do a great work. When you go out for Love the City Week, the reason I show up and I show off, because I love getting close to people. And when you get close to people, I do miraculous things. I start to develop relationships. People get connected. Over 80 people responded to the gospel last week. They stood up and said, man, Jesus, I want freedom from my sin. I accept you. I believe in you. You're my Lord. And all the angels in heaven, they throw a party when one person repents. So they were throwing 80 plus party. I mean, they, I don't, it must have been a crazy week up in heaven. And he's reminding us here that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest will already happen all the time. God's got preparing people's hearts to be transformed and, and, and changed. And for them not to meet Um, religion, for them to meet relationship, for them to not meet building or church banner, but for them to meet the God of the universe who made them, who's known them, who's been with me and you since the beginning, who's been there protecting us in ways we don't even understand, who's been leading and guiding us and orchestrating. His ways are so much higher And then here we're supposed to pray into that harvest, his harvest, that there'll be more people that want to work. More people that actually want to work. And don't like complain and get that bitter bug. Like, God, use me. Man, I feel so used. Come on, we all, we all start complaining. I bet if I followed you around work this week, whoo, put you on blast. You know? Follow me, I start saying dumb things. I'm like, man, that's horrible. Start complaining, grumbling. Like, God's done too much. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6 has been a theme verse for this church when we, when we launched. But I'm reading out the message and I'm going to read 5 through 12. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. So in other words, trust the Lord with all of your heart. All of it. Not some of it, but all of it. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Difficult men in the room. Come on, we probably got some controlling men in the room. Try to figure out everything. Oh, women? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's some controlling women in the room. Some of the guys are like, amen, yeah. (laughs) Trying to figure out everything on their own. Get this. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. When stuff hits the fan, what's the last thing we want to do? 
Listen, we want to get it. We want to do anything to escape. Come on, our favorite food, our favorite outlet. It could be Netflix. It could be even more destructive. It might be our favorite booze. It could be even crazier. Next thing you know, our favorite club. Next thing you know, we're in environments like, oh, man, just hoping to escape it. And we wake up the next day, and it's like, oh, the pain's compounded. But yet in those moments when it's difficult, God's asking us and hoping to lead us that we would listen. There's no substitution for listening to God. And listening to God takes time. It takes trust. If we can trust God for the salvation of our souls where we stand up and we're like, God, take my life. Can't we trust him to lead our life? But it might not always go as we wanted. So don't assume that you know it all. Run to God, run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will be vibrant with life. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Your barns will burst. Your wine vats will brim over. But don't, dear friend, resent God's discipline. I think if we just read the portion where it's like your body will glow with health, your very bones will vibrant with life, honor God with everything you own, give him first and the best, your barns will burst, your wine vats will brim over. That Doesn't that sound like, um, like a health and wealth seminar? <laughs> and we'd be like, oh, that's great. I want to sign up for that. I want that lotion. I want to sell X amount and be a millionaire, and I only got to call 40 friends. I want to be in that. I mean, I'm in. A lot of times we accept Jesus and we think, okay, I'm in. But, but, but to even have that comes from a place of being disciplined often, all the time. Discipline is uncomfortable. It's difficult. It's hard. It's very challenging. It hurts. And it hurts so good. And as we do that, that's why you can see a life that's been dying daily. Dying to pride, dying to self, dying to resentment. Dying to bitterness, dying to wanting to uh, return evil for evil, want to be right because we've experienced injustice, feel like we're overlooked. Like all of us have felt like this often. But if we trust God, we're not complaining about circumstances as much as we're now looking at God's perspective of how he could navigate us through any type of terrain. The perspective to trust God is not when it's easy, it's when it's hard. And we let go and we let God have control. So a fundamental position of following Jesus is that you and me are not in control. And we know that when, when we're, we're at the end of our rope. Come on. I knew that when I was in a cell. You know, God, if you just get me out of here, please, I'll serve you. You get out of there, you're like, oh, yeah, you show up at your friend's house. You're like, made promises with God. Next thing you know, you're out blazing for like another year. And then he does, you know, and then it happens again. You know, that moment, you look around, no one's around. You're like, where are my friends now? No one's here now. I thought real love was supposed to stay. I thought they really loved me. But sometimes God lets everything fall off so that all we have is him. So that's good. It's good. Don't soak under his loving correction. If the child he loves that God corrects, a, father del a father's delight is behind all of this. And so when God is challenging us, and using our circumstances to teach us and lead us to him is always from a place of health. Now, James chapter 4 talks to us about our plans for the planners in the room. It is very important to plan, for the record. 
So this message is not saying that you shouldn't plan. If you're going to build a house, of course you have blueprints. But what it's saying, though, is that if we build a house, we don't think that we're doing it in our power or for our glory. And if God chooses to interrupt how we're building and change it, we submit to that on the fly. And so we got to get comfortable with knowing his voice, hear that often. It's a relationship. You know, if you quit dating, you don't know each other anymore. That's what happens, right? Kids move out of the house. You see marriages just go like crazy because the whole platform's been built on the children. It's hard to be intentional for date night when you got twins, you know? Like how many sitters do you need for our five? Probably five. So shout out to all the sitters who've made it possible for Crystal and I to ever go on a date. So you need plans, but in order for the Lord to be the Lord of our life, to trust him, he will interrupt our plans. We have to know what that looks like. So come now, verse 13, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. We've all been guilty of this, basically saying what God's going to do in our life, but still not holding it loosely. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Doesn't God have a way of humbling us? What is your life? You are a mist here for a little time, then it vanishes. (laughs) Like, oh man, that's humbling, you know? But yet, at the same time, it's, this is the God who, um, who invites us in that we can cry out Abba to be a part of a family forever. So it's a dichotomy, the humility that says, I am so unworthy, but yet now I have a boldness and a confidence because you say I am free. Free to roam, free to be restored, free to be on vocation, on mission, at my job, to be like God to, to interact like God now, to forgive like God, to suffer like God, to cry like God, to say, not my will, but your will be done like Jesus. So instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, there's a tension where we get promptings by the Holy Spirit where we can prophetically get glimpses of the future. But anyone who's ever gotten glimpses of the future, it's not thus says the Lord over God's word or contradicts God's word. It always uh, aligns, accompanies, and is under the authority of God's word. And it oftentimes looks radically different than exactly what we thought. And it requires many people to be involved. And then what we realize is as our talent can't take us, God has to break us for whatever, anything he's shown us. And so if he shows you something, he's counted you worthy to be a part of what he's doing, but he'll make sure he gets the credit. So for anybody that's like, man, God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. Like ninja kick that person next time. Because God will give you more than you can handle, therefore he gets to be God. So we go to him. And it's deep and it's neat. So we pray and we believe for heaven's best. We pray and believe for healing and provision and, and sometimes our dreams to be manifest. And we, we dream big. But at the same time, we humbly say, if the Lord wills. All right. So we're starting to build this case of what this feels and looks like, going from a big crowd and what would it look like to have plans and then going to John chapter 6. Going to read a big portion, portion of Scripture And I'm reading out of the message for this. 
so you can read along or listen along. The next day, the crowd that was left behind realized that there had only been one boat and that Jesus had not gotten into it with his disciples. They had seen them go off without him. By now, boats from Tiberias had pulled up near where they had eaten the bread blessed by the master. Jesus had fed a lot of people. He had done a lot of signs and wonders. And so the crowds are super excited. So when the crowd realized he was gone and wasn't coming back, they piled into the Tiberias boats and headed for Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him back across the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, you've come looking for me, not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you filled your stomachs, and for free. So don't waste your energy striving for perishable food like that. Work for the food that sticks with you, food that nourishes your lasting life, food the Son of Man provides. He and what he does are guaranteed by God the Father to last. To that they say, well, what do we do then to get in on God's works? Jesus said, Throw your lot in with the one that God has sent. That kind of commitment gets you in on God's works. They waffled. Why don't you just give us a clue about who you are, just a hint of what's going on? Now, a lot of times we're asking God to do more to convince us when he's already done more than enough. Creation exists. Do we need to wonder if there's order it's pretty obvious that there's some type of orchestrator behind it all. And then the question comes down to, well, then how has the orchestrator revealed himself? And if he's revealed himself, how did he reveal himself? And, and then it leads us to questions, well, there's love, and why is there love? Is that innate, or is that, just, is that just something that we evolved into? And then why is there evil, and how come we could send someone to the moon, but we can't solve peace in, in, a, in a foreign land or in even in our own backyard and we still have uh, uh, hate crimes and we have race on race and we have economic divide. We have all of this just wickedness and then how do we get free from that? And then we have this guilt from within where we feel bad when we do something wrong and all of that is the convincing argument that we are left with only one position. I can't save myself. I didn't create myself. I recognize there is an author who created everything and he has revealed himself real. In his son, fully God, fully man, Jesus, I am the only way and as a gift becomes the bread that if we eat, enter in by him, through him, that we are redeemed and set free. Will we be able to figure out it all? No, we use like 12% of our brain. We want to be God all the time. So there is a faith step, but it is, it is the smallest faith step of any position. Jesus' evidence is everywhere. Everywhere. And it's awesome. Because when you compare him to any other God, he stands alone. Every other God, here's what I got to do to try to be made right. And Jesus says, guess what? You'll never be able to be made right. But I came down and I did everything right for you. And if you just give me your life and lose it, I'll give you my life and you'll find it. Like, this is a game changer. This is a game changer, right? So this is what's going on. They want more of a hint. They want more of a sign. A lot of times we do too. Like, God, show up in the sky. If it's so obvious. I don't know how and why he rolls everything out, but I've came to a place in my life where 
I believe with everything. That he's done more than enough and he's shown it all. And he rose from the dead and and, uh, if he never decides to do another thing, he's done more than enough. So they say, when we see what's up, we'll commit ourselves. Show us what you can do. Moses fed our ancestors with bread in the desert. It says so in the scriptures. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. This sounds like our political candidates a little bit. Show us what you can do. And here's where it's crazy. I think this is how we approach church too often, and especially Jesus. Show me what you can do, Jesus. I need, come on, I tried you for a week. Why isn't my family better? There's also this thing called the devil. <laughs> so when you get tight with God, start making steps towards God, the devil just hates it. You're not a threat when you're building your own kingdom or his kingdom. You only become a threat when you start building God's kingdom. So if stuff got worse when you're rolling with Jesus, man, join the club. Join the club. Like, who, whoever said it was any other way? Not our Lord? Like, that's just not how it goes. And we're going to see that, like, pretty clear on some of these texts we're reading. Jesus responded, the real significance of that scripture is not that Moses gave you bread from heaven, but that my father is right now offering you bread from heaven. The real bread, the bread of God came down out of heaven and is giving life to the world. This means that even when we're reading back from Moses, the exodus of God's people, leading them out from being oppressed under slavery and and the Egyptian regime, that here they are moving to the promised land, that all the signs and wonders, even bread from heaven, is pointing to one day the redemption, the salvation of mankind, Jesus. It's all pointing to. So this helps us even understand if you sometimes feel like you're lost in your Bible, like, like where do I begin? Where do I start? It's all one story, God's plan, and it's all about Jesus. Helps show us who he is, and a great Bible to get that will help uh, magnify that is the Gospel Transformation Bible. It's a study Bible with commentary. shows us that Jesus throughout all of the text. You guys still with me? Come on, it's kind of like school today, but a good one. I'm sure there's great schools too. not saying you didn't like school. I shouldn't have made that assumption. I'm sure there's a lot of people here who like school. There's probably somebody today that's like, I've been waiting for City Life to read 700 scriptures. They use the message too much. Um, Okay, verse 34. They jumped at that. Master, give us this bread now and forever. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. The person who aligns with me hungers no more and thirsts no more ever. I have told you this explicitly because even though you have not, you've seen me in action, you don't really believe in me. Every person the Father gives me eventually comes running to me, and once that person is with me, I hold on and I don't let go. I came down from heaven not to follow my own whim, but to accomplish the will of the one who sent me. This, in a nutshell, is that will, that everything handed over to me by the Father be completed. Not a single detail missed. At the wrap-up time, I have everything and everyone put together, upright and whole. This is what my Father wants, that anyone who sees the Son... And trusts who he is and what he does and then aligns with him will enter real life, eternal life. My part is to put them on their feet and alive and whole at the completion of time. 
at this because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. The Jews started arguing over him. Isn't this son of Joseph? Don't we know his father? Don't we know his mother? How can he now say, I came down out of heaven and accept anyone to expect anyone to believe him? Jesus said, don't bicker among yourselves over me. You're not in charge here. The Father who sent me is in charge. He draws people to me. That's the only way you'll ever come. Only then do I do my work, putting people together, setting them on their feet, ready for the end. This is what the prophets meant when they wrote. And then they will all be personally taught by God. Anyone who has spent any time at all listening to the Father really listening and therefore learning, comes to me to be taught personally, to see it with his own eyes, hear it with his own ears. From me, since I have it firsthand from the Father, no one has seen the Father except the one who has his being alongside the Father. And you can see me. I'm telling you the most solemn and sober truth. Whoever believes in me has real life, eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the bread of the desert and died. But now here's the bread that truly comes down out of heaven. Anyone eating this bread will not die ever. I am the bread, living bread, who came down out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live and forever the bread that I present to the world so that it can eat and live itself. This flesh and blood is self. What Jesus is saying is any desire that you have in the natural, hunger, provision, shelter. Hey, by the way, don't be deceived. I'm greater than it all. I give water. I give bread that you won't thirst. You won't be hungry. Why? I'm satisfying the deepest part of your desire, and it's not a carnal one. It's a soul eternal one. And we can get too deceived. Can you imagine today if food rations were like, we're so, we couldn't find food. There was nowhere to find food. And somebody started providing it. And they had a message behind them attached to it. And they started getting a following. They started asking for an allegiance. Don't be so prone to, quit, to, to think that we wouldn't be led astray. I think how we stay in the fold is remembering, man, I am prone to wander, so what do I need? I need God's word. I need God's community. I need healthy accountability. I need healthy leadership. I need not abusive, controlling, but I need free conversations, questions. We're all learning. We're all students, but we're letting Jesus shape and mold us. I'm trusting him with my whole heart, my own understanding on the side, because I can be deceived, and I'm acknowledging him in every step of the way when it's tough and I'm saying Lord make straight my past and at times you know what that might come to like if it was choose food or choose Jesus who are we choosing Jesus that's why people have died for these scriptures to be in our hands like they have died for us to read about this Love the city party is awesome, but Jesus always wants us to get into small pockets where we can wrestle with this and we can trust God and cast you know, our burdens on one another and ultimately cast our cares on him. You guys still with me? I wish we could go all day today, but I want to respect your time. It'd be fun, huh? Hopefully this invites us into more. Be like, man, I want to, I want to learn this deeper and read this chapter. I'm going to go down to verse 60. Many among his disciples, they heard this. This is a tough teaching, too tough to swallow. Jesus sensed that his disciples were having a hard time with this and said, does this throw you off completely? What would happen if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he came from? 
the Spirit can make life. Sheer muscle and willpower don't make anything. Every word I've spoken to you is spirit word, so that it is life-giving. But some of you are resisting, refusing to have any part in this. Jesus knew from the start that some weren't going to risk themselves with him. He knew also who would betray him. He went on to say this. This is why I told you earlier that no one is capable of coming to me on his own. You get to me only as a gift from the Father. This is so important to remember. Because we were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And we're still saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And it, with that humility, remembering that it's a gift, even as we're working and even as we feel violated at times, as we trust him, it's liberating. Because we remember that in no way, shape, or form did we do any of this to be clean. It's hard to even believe that we could be clean. Like, it's hard to believe. It, because when we sin, our natural reaction is we want to hide. But when we confess our sin, we hide in Jesus. It's like a nuclear bomb happened and it didn't affect you. <laughs> you know? It's like, the, you know, all the, the, the guards are coming to, you know, get everybody and take them in. And then they don't get you. Why didn't they get you? Jesus at the door. And you're freaked out because you know you're guilty and you're like, oh my goodness, you know. They're here, they're here, they're here, and, just, and then boom, just like this peace, this grace, this covering, this protection. That's what happens when we spend time with Jesus. So the whole point of Sunday morning is beautiful, but the whole point of this is that intimately we're connected with Jesus, and then we're in community, and we're living this thing out, not when it's easy, but when it's tough. And check this out. So every word that I've spoken to you is spirit word, and so it is life-making, so but some of you are resisting, refusing any part of this, he was saying, right? He knew he'd betray him. So this I told you early, no one's capable of coming to me on his own. You get this only as a gift. So after this, a lot of his disciples left. Who left? Disciples. That means that we could be so close, excited at the party, being like, yeah, do another one, Jesus. Come on, another song. Another bag. Another truck event. Yeah, Jesus, do it. Man, Jesus, this is too tough. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the 12 their chance. Do you also want to leave? If it costs us our lives, the question would still be today. Do you also want to leave? I mean, it's tough. Peter re replied, Master, to whom would we go? This is good. You have the words of real life, eternal life. We've already committed ourselves, confident that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus responded, haven't I handpicked you, the twelve? Still one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. This man, one of you of the 12, was even then getting ready to betray him. You're always seeing this tension in Jesus' life. He's got um, people that want to kill him. And he's got someone in his own crew that's going to betray him. And, and, he's okay, and, he, and he's submitted to that. And he's okay with that. And he continues to trust the Father just like us and move accordingly to accomplishing the will of the Father. You know, in Matthew chapter 12, it shows us how serious it is to follow the Father. Verse 46, while he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told them, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards the disciples, he said, here is, are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of the Father is in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. What this is meaning is this. If family's first, 
This is hard. If family's first, we're not rolling with Jesus. But if Jesus is first, it's natural that he loves family. He wasn't saying that he didn't love his mom. In fact, he asked one of his followers to take care of his mom on the cross. He loves his mom. He loves his family. What he's saying, though, is there's a family that will last forever, so don't get it twisted, okay? Cool families in the house, like props to you, but we don't worship family. It's a gift that, show, that we can reflect the beauty of heaven through. And this is hard. This is probably why it's a father who sends a son. Abraham, Isaac, same. I mean, it's given up your very prized possession, yourself. Parents that know in the room, we know. If you had to give up a child, come on, anything but a kid, right? That's how serious God is about restoring us. He sent himself to be the lamb. To die, the sacrificial lamb, to be the substitute so that God could restore his relationship for what he created with this battle that's going on, this great cosmic battle, demons, devil, angels. I mean, it gets crazy, and you get people in it, and they start saying, man, I saw demons, I saw angels. Like, okay, let's keep it center. Let's keep it center. But one thing we know principle-wise, there is an absolute battle. It's unseen, and it's happening all the time. But in Jesus Christ, we already have the victory. The devil is literally under our feet. And even that kind of idea, he's under our feet, you know, we start to think that he's under our feet because of anything we've done. He's under our feet because we're in Jesus. So therefore, I want to trust Jesus, give him allegiance in everything because he's promised me a life, a real life forever. And now relationships become more richer. Family time is in its appropriate box, and, and it points to somewhere that's forever. And our marriages start to look more like heaven. We forgive. We're not building on what we only want. We're thinking, how can we reflect Jesus? I mean, Luke 9 shows us again, like, what it looks like to follow Jesus. He said, certainly, but first, this is somebody who wanted to follow Jesus. Excuse me for a couple of days, please. I have to make arrangements for my father's funeral. Jesus refused. First things first, your business is life, not death. And this life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom. And another said, I'm ready to follow you, master, but first excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. Jesus said, no procrastination, no backwards looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. What's going on here is this. God is reminding us that if we're coming in with Jesus, he wants us hot or cold, no lukewarm, he'll spit us out. It is all in with Jesus. And what happens is now he starts to give us things back and they're redeemed. They're awesome. He gives us relationships back. And he, you know what I think would have happened if that person said, man, I want to follow you because I'm all about life. And then Jesus would have probably said this. Listen, I'm, just, I'm just speculating, but, I, but I, the quality and nature of God, of what I've marinated on, looking at the scriptures, I think God would have said something like this. But don't you have a funeral to go to? Awesome, go do that first, and I'll be right back to pick you up. Because if his response would have been first of what was most important, everything would have changed. Why? We know that. Jesus cares about funerals. He shows up with one of his best friends, his dead Lazarus, and, and, his, and his friends are weeping, and he starts to see there, and he's overwhelmed by it, and he cries. So Jesus cares about funerals. But he recognized that he was over it all. And throughout, see, here's the thing. When we face trouble this week, that's when our Christianity is really manifested. 
When we feel that it's too difficult or we're longing for something, can we say that God can fill the gap? When we don't have enough money or we feel like it doesn't add up, can we say, God, you're more than enough? Like Matthew 6, we don't worry. You take care of the birds. You take care of the plants. Like, yeah, that person might have more, but God, I got you, and that's more than enough. Like that is, that's what this Sunday is all about. We're stirring each other up as way of reminder until the coming of the Lord. So as we close, here's where we're going to close. God shows us the urgency and the severity. And I pray that we're not like the disciples that are like, oh, I thought it was just love the city week. I pray we're the people that says, no, God, I want you to take all my life. And whenever it's tough, I'm going to start submitting to you. And I'm going to talk to you about it. And I'm going to listen to you. Well, the question would be, well, how do I listen? Try it. Try it. That means when something hits the fan, start worshiping. I will tell you firsthand, when something goes wrong, my temptation is to go to any vice that it helps me escape. It can be food, it can be TV, whatever. But when we go to the throne and we be still, we go to whatever your secret place is, whatever, something, something you know, you know those spots in your life. When you go to that place, God starts to calibrate us and, and give us strategies. First Peter 5 shows us, if worship team, you guys can come up front. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. Here's the prescription. We humble ourselves. We want to be in the 12. We want to be in the huddle. We want to cast all of our anxieties on him. Anybody got anxiety? Yeah. Why would, why would that text say that? Because anxiety is inevitable, right? Casting it upon him is optional. So as we cast it, we're like, oh, take it, God. I feel this. Take it, God. Take it, God. Take it, God. I'm convinced that whoever glows and whoever has that presence of God is just somebody who's found more time to die to self. They've just spent more time getting broke by life and letting the Father resurrect his power and his nature, the resurrecting king in that situation. That's how you can see families. I um, remember I was really impacted by this one family. They lost their baby, and, um, and it was part of this traveling ministry. And then the, the, it was the weekend, and they do this ballet thing, and they, they, they decided to perform at the funeral because they, they didn't understand why, but they still wanted to proclaim that God is good, and, 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 and they will be one day reunited. And I just like, oh, it's so hard to think about stuff like that. But in that moment... That, that family is showing what this is really all about. It's really showing what, what Jesus' following is all about. And we can, look, like we can have war stories. You want to have war stories? We can just sit around the table and be like, okay, what are you going through? Come on. Like most of our conversations are what you're going through, you know? Like problems, everybody has it, right? But solutions, who has them? And, we gotta, and that doesn't mean we're happy-go-lucky Christians where we're just, oh, everything's cheesy. No, no. Like it's real pain, but it's also real hope. Like real pain, real hope. Like hope is in the midst of pain. Real doubt, but then there's trust. Real worry, and then, and then there's, there's the power to cast our cares on the Lord. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world.
trust. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's this cool helper that Jesus gives us. It's the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 11, he shows us how it's going to feel. So I want us to bring all the pain out right now. Like, bring it all out. Bring the anxieties out. Bring them. Just bring them out in your mind. Just bring it all out. All the hurt from this week, all the hurt from your child, just bring it out. I believe God's big enough here right now. Because His Word tells us that, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you tired? Worn out? Burnt on religion? Come to me. Get away with me you'll recover your life I'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me watch how I do it learn the unforced rhythms of grace learn the unforced rhythms of grace it's like there's a soundtrack when we're connected with Jesus and I was thinking backstage in between the messages and I was praying and I thought when you trust God it seems like it's so difficult but it's so liberating It is so awesome. It is so cool. It is awesome. I want to excite you with how heavy. It is so light. It's free. You don't have to carry that anymore. That person that wronged you, let let it go. Let him go. The only person getting hurt is you, me. They might not change, but how we see it can change. I'll show you how to do it. Take a real rest. Walk with me force rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What Jesus was saying is the disciples shouldn't have left discouraged. They should have been so encouraged. You mean you're better than anything people can feed or clothe or provide financially? You're better than that? Yeah. Wow. Wow. So Jesus left us, and he promised to return, but he didn't leave us without help. John 14, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. So what he's saying is this, I left, but I gave something. I gave you a helper, and it's the Holy Spirit. And today, we got to, like, cry, say, Holy Spirit, teach me through these things. Holy Spirit, I need you to lead me specifically. I hear what pastor's talking about, but I got some real situations. Holy Spirit, I want you to customize the strategies today. Holy Spirit, I want you to help me see it differently. Holy Spirit, I need you. Will you lead me and remind me of Jesus through this situation? Give me new perspective of how heaven sees this. I might not see the return today, this year, this decade even, or even this lifetime, but I trust that one day you're going to make all things new. I'm believing for more. I'm living in this tension where, God, I believe that you fully made it possible. I receive heaven, but at the same time, it's difficult, and I'm enduring. I'm walking through with suffering and perseverance, and like that is the dichotomy that's happening all the time. But God is so victorious, and he gave us the Holy Spirit that it becomes light, light seems crazy but it's real because it's a supernatural supernatural promise so if you're here today and you say you know what I got some things in my life that I need God to take 
and I'm not trusting God in some areas, if you'd be brave enough to raise your hand, let me just see. If you got, yeah, got some areas that you need to trust God today, I'd ask you, man, if you're serious, and uh, would you stand up? We're going to worship. And if you want to come up here, I would encourage you to come. Like, get on your knees. Like, today's a day where you say, all right, all right, talk is cheap, God. I trust you. Trust you, God, today. We worship God forever.